So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. Yep. So on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you see our logo. And on Twitter, it's simply at Folk on Falcons, and you'll see the same logo again, which is our page. So it's been a while coming. Our penultimate match of the season happened, so you haven't had to listen to our droning on for the last couple of weeks, and then we've got another week off next week because it's the European final, and then the week after that's our final game of the season. So. We've got a few things to talk about. We've got, obviously, the match of the weekend, what we've got to look forward to next week against Northampton. And one other thing we're going to mention, or a few things we're going to mention, um, we had some reasonably reliable inside information on some transfers that haven't been released to the public yet. So it's only good and proper that we hugely caveat them, but we'll tell you what they are later on. So I think the obvious place to start is the game on Saturday against Leicester. For large parts, we defended resolutely. I don't think we ever looked like getting more than a, a losing bonus point at one point. We never looked like really being in the game. Whenever we got the ball, we just seemed to kick it back to them for the first half hour. Yeah, I thought sort of in or in of itself, um, the game wasn't too bad. It was by no means one of their worst performances. As you say, they did defend really well. Uh, at one point, I was actually thinking the first half, oh, it's almost like it was the start of last season, you know, when we were well known for how well we defended um, in the first part of that season. But yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Leicester weren't, obviously weren't at their best, that was clear to see, but you can only kind of play what's in front of you and we were competitive and mostly kind of toe-to-toe with them. But as you say, it was it's, it's the kicking in particular, um, like you mentioned there, but you can tell the sort of gap in quality. Again, it was sort of in the second half where we fell off it for about a 15-minute period, which seems to happen almost every week. And when you, of course, when you play a team the quality Leicester have, then, you know, you're going to get punished. And that's why, you know, we lose every week because, you know, that that period kind of undoes every every sort of piece of good work we've done prior to that point. And we were in the game only five points behind. So, of course, you have the disappointment of the falling off in that 15-minute period. But I think also, you know, we should have got some points when we had those string of penalties just for half-time. And again, line-out wasn't functioning. And, you know, I think Ford kicked three points over because our defence was kind of holding out. They kind of settled for the three points. Maybe we should have done that, you know, before the end of the half, before the end of half-time, just get a bit more points on the board, bring it a bit closer in. You never know. Would we have won the game? Probably not, but could have somehow got a losing bonus point. But yeah, I mean, not the worst I've ever seen, but still had a tinge of the usual kind of aspects of disappointment we see week in, week out. I thought it might be a very, very long afternoon when in the first minute, Radwan did a... A phenomenal try-saving tackle on Chris Ashton, showing the uh, old pro who's the new winger on the block. And then, yeah, like I say, it was very, very much a case of defend very well, get the ball back, box kick or hoof it as far as we could, then rinse and repeat. But unfortunately, on the whole, George Ford's kicking up from full-back positions and he can kick it better than we can, uh, particularly as uh, up-and-unders. And then when they did hit touch, and like you say, our line-outs were pretty poor, uh, getting towards half a dozen we lost over the course of the game. And compared to where we were in the season, you've got to scratch your head a bit and think, what's what's going on there? Is it a case of who's on the pitch or the fact they haven't had a game for a few weeks? Things aren't quite firing. I'm not sure. There we go. There were a few highlights. One particular one of mine was when McGuigan almost outpaced uh, Ashton after Mickey Young's break and chipped through. It's one of those ones where you'd like the referee to give it the benefit of the doubt from McGuigan, but unfortunately in professional sport, it doesn't happen. Um, and then I think another wonderful highlight was Muapola, potentially his last performance at Kingston Park. Heard a couple of rumours about that. In steps George Ford. Muapola steps up and puts George Ford back into last season. And what a tackle that was. You could always feel his bones creaking. Also like uh, Radwan dancing away on the wing in the second half. 
at one point. I mean, there's one of the few times he actually managed to get away, but he, it was a glimpse of kind of, or reminding everyone kind of what he's still capable of uh, if he hasn't just a kind of little bit of space. But yeah, it was really unfortunate with McGuigan being just outpaced by by Ashton. That would be almost transseason contender, I think. But yeah, I think Ashton did actually get it though. Uh, I mean, fair enough. But I wonder that one actually, if Young could have passed it instead of chipping it. Uh, I mean, almost worked out, but I, I don't know. I just he did have a couple of people on his shoulder. Um, I don't know if he just didn't look or he kind of set in his mind, oh, I'm just going to chip this or kind of rush and blow up the head or something. But maybe from critical, maybe he could have passed that out. But I suppose it would have been worth it if McGuigan had scored that one to try. But alas, it didn't work out for us. Alas, yeah. Also, Radwan, moment of brilliance in the first half where he turned Leicester centre inside out and went down the wing, just then sidestepped inside Nadolo. Well, this shows quite what a good player he is when he gets that half yard. But unfortunately, it's the first time he's shown that in a good few weeks. Um, and then I think McGuigan actually got three tries disallowed in that game and he managed to score one. There was the one where it was a dropout just before half time near the posts. There was the one we just discussed about Mickey Young's chip through. And then there was one where it got brought back for a penalty. So I think I'm right in saying he had a hat trick disallowed, which is quite a record, I think. Um, and then I guess the only other talking point was Dolly's leg. It wasn't nice. And Brocklebank, I think, could feel the yellow's a bit harsh. It was very innocuous what he actually did, but it was one of these ones where you can't really argue too much when you've definitely ended someone's season and potentially a lot longer. Yeah, well, it was really innocuous. Um, I couldn't, certainly in real time, I couldn't tell at all what happened. It, you know, you wouldn't sort of look twice. And then, even on the big screen, um, obviously you saw his injury, but then, like, it was hard to actually, it took me a few watches to actually see what Brocklebank did because it was so innocuous. Um, I guess, you know, it kind of had to be yellow, I suppose, because of the nature of the injury, even if, of course, there's no, you know, you got to think very likely there's no intent, you think. You know, I suppose technically it is dangerous to play even with the intent isn't there. So a yellow probably, maybe upper end of it, you know, being a yellow, but I, I think a yellow was probably right. I mean, red certainly wouldn't have been the case, but thankfully, actually, I don't think it really cost us too much. Um but uh, yeah, it's not something obviously you like to see, and it's obviously unfortunate every time it happens on on the pitch. And just kind of hope he has a, a speedy recovery. Interesting that I think it was last season Wiesa ended Welch's career in the fixture Welford Road, didn't he? And then this season, I hope it's not a repeat of the same thing at our place, one of their front rows. But um, yeah, I think everyone will wish him well. One other thing I need to talk about quickly before moving on. Um, McGuigan, very well done to get selected in the England training squad. Um, it wasn't just his attack and play that was quite clever. There was a time when Genge looked to have scurried and buried his way over. And if you look at the McGuigan play, he runs around the wrong side and basically blocks the camera angle from the video ref. I don't know if he was doing it on purpose or whether he was just trying to stop the ball going down, but he basically knelt down in front of the line of sight for the TV cameras. So no try could be given and we ended up with a goal line dropout. And I'm pretty sure that Genge... Thought he'd score a try there, so nice bit of uh, cute play in that one. And then one final thing I think I'd add is that the old adage of "you earn your luck" is definitely true because there was the one where it just squeaked away from Basham, and then uh, he unfortunately knocked it on when he was about to get within about a foot of the line, and then. At the other end of the pitch in the first half, there's the rather bizarre kick that ended up hitting the corner flag and stopping dead on the pitch, and then um, ultimately, instead of not being either our line out too fair, we'd probably lost or a scrum back where the kick was taken from if it had gone dead. We ended up with uh, Carreras having to kick it out and then a few phases later, George Ford gets his penalty. It's just one of those ones where extremely lucky 
way it is, but as I say, you earn your luck. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, well, you like to think sort of swings and roundabouts, and these things do come back for you eventually, but I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was a really good kick, so I guess fortune favours are brave. I mean, he did obviously give it a good hard welly, and sometimes, you know, it pays off. And, and I don't know, I kind of felt the time when that stayed in for them, um, and then obviously Zaykwaras had to kick it out for the liner. You almost kind of, because it was pretty close then, you kind of thought, you know, this is it. Are we going to lose the game because of like this, this ridiculous incident? And I suppose we didn't really, but obviously it didn't help. But I guess in many ways that's kind of summed us up recently. Yeah, and then um, I guess we held on and didn't get a bonus point, but kind of a nice way. We're one of the few teams this year that stopped Leicester scoring four tries as well, which I think we've got to hold our heads up and be proud of. But also it was an extremely good crowd. I think there were 8,000 odd and it was nice to see fans up against the hoardings in front of the stand and around the edges as it used to be in the good old days. Yeah, I mean, it was a decent-sized crowd, all things considered, especially sort of recent home form, um, probably because playing Leicester and last home game of the season. Um, I think weather was all right as well, fairly warm for Kingston Park. Um, I mean, having said that, there were a lot of Leicester supporters, I would say, at least 25, 30% of the crowd was less support, which is fair enough, obviously. You know, they're enjoying their rugby at the moment, big club, top of the league, want to have their last league away game before the playoffs. Um, so, you know, why not have a trip to the North East for the weekend? Um, but that obviously bolstered it. If you take them away, I'm not sure it'll be quite as big in terms of Forbes fans. But yeah, it was so nice to see. And, you know, I, I guess if we put better performances in, then obviously we're going to get bigger crowds and bigger crowds obviously is quite obviously is better for the club and everyone involved with the club. So let's kind of hope that they can keep that number going into next season. Yeah, and I think that given some of the performance this season and the amount of ranting we've done at various points in time, I think that for the last home game of the season, it certainly wasn't a bad result, and especially not against that Leicester team who, let's be honest, I think... Most people going to that game were going there with very little optimism and a lot of trepidation. But um, in the end, I think a lot of people will have gone home quietly pleased with not getting absolutely thrashed and a very respectable display being put out. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking possibly record home defeat. Um, you know, I would have liked to, of course, would like to see score some scores and more points because I mean, I think we only scored five points in two league games against Leicester, which I know obviously there's a big discrepancy in the quality of teams, but that is pretty poor um, I would have liked to see a score more points I think that would have been a fair reflection on the scoreboard um, I think it would look less of a hammering which it wasn't really um, but yeah I mean it went away from that sort of thinking well you know well, that was that I guess so, you know like I said at the start in or in of itself that game wasn't too bad it's just kind of like well you know that's that's it for this season at home it's another defeat and only two wins at home all season um, but I don't think you would mind so much say I go back to the first game of the season obviously Harlequins at home where we were really really unlucky to lose any other day we could have won that and you kind of don't mind that because we were really really good that day we were really unlucky to lose and even like obviously disappointed not to win that's the kind of rugby you want to see you know, that's what you pay your money for, for games like that against, you know, playing well against high quality opposition. Just haven't had that this season since then. And they didn't hit that height against Leicester, but it was kind of, it was better than what it has been. So I think, you know, there was no kind of crushing sense of disappointment coming back from Kingston Park this week, at least, which I suppose is some sort of progress. Next week, will we be so cheery after the game? I'm not so sure. Playing against Northampton, who 
have to win to get in the top four. It's not our last home game of the season. We're away on the road. Wasn't the final hurrah for a lot of players this just gone? Or will they put the same sort of performance in the fortnight's time? I really hope they don't step off the gas because I think if we do, then it could be quite a long bus journey back. Well, yeah, as you say, Northampton got something to play for. They have to win to guarantee top four. And they're obviously going to be going all out. And you know, we all know what a good team they are. Um, they're going to be taking their prisoners. Um, you know, Dan Biggis said, it was just some people may have seen uh, earlier on in the week saying that, you know, if we had to play any team at home to secure top four, then, you know, we'd rather have Newcastle, which is fair enough, I suppose, even if it is a bit unsavoury. If we can somehow get a bonus point from there as well, that could be very important because, you know, we don't want to have be on the end of a, a hammering and potentially finish bottom of the league if the Worcester Bath result goes against us. So, you know, there is a lot to play for. There is professional pride to play for. You know, no player wants to finish bottom of the league and that should be enough incentive to go and put in a decent performance. Am I expecting a win? Absolutely not. Am I expecting a bonus point? Probably not. But the very least they can put in as a really, you know, as a, performance full of heart and you know at least show us something they'll get to what it was at the very start this season the end of last season and I think it's important to show the fans that to have a bit of optimism going into next season and also just to kind of prove something to themselves as well if they make it difficult for Northampton at least I think that'll be something and then of course we'll have to keep an eye on results elsewhere and hope that don't finish bottom. Yeah, you say they don't finish bottom thing. A couple of weeks ago when we did our last podcast, we almost said it's very unlikely, almost impossible we'll finish bottom. But then Bath go and beat London Irish, don't they? Which no one was expecting. So as the, the bottom three as it stands, we're not going to do the round full roundup just yet. The bottom three as it stands, um, we're in 11th with 33 points. Bath are also on 33 and 12th by the virtue of them having won fewer games. And then Worcester are in last at the minute with 30 points. So for us to come last, Worcester would have to beat Bath very possible. Bath end up with a, a bonus point, presumably a losing bonus point or four try bonus point. But um, they could even get both. And then basically, if we don't get as many points as Bath, then we finish bottom. Um, a couple of other things I think we should chat about. Premiership top try scorer, golden try, whatever you want to call it. Ward Georgie McGuigan, still top of the leaderboard. Quite remarkable, really, after the season we've had and losing week in, week out, that we've got a player at the top of the leaderboard. Yeah, well, I mean, if he stays top after Northampton, then that's probably going to be the highlight of the season, isn't it? Surely him being top of the try scoring charts, uh, not much else, but I think it would be our luck that he would probably just get pipped Probably in a try in the last minute, you know, the last game of the season. I mean, if anything, to try and put a positive spin on things, you know, it's great for him, I think, individually. And it, it's that's obviously been recognised and that he's finally being called up for England. And I, I think, you know, obviously, I think even Eddie Jones in the end couldn't ignore, you know, what he brings to a team. And and it's always a sign of quality player if you are playing really well week in, week out. In his case, scoring tries week in, week out, and you're playing for a pretty poor team, which is obviously, unfortunately, what he is at the moment. Um, so it's, if anything, I mean, it'd be great for the club as well, and it'd be fun for us supporters. But for him on a personal note, it must be absolutely brilliant. And I really, really, really hope it does you know, he, he does top it after Northampton. At the minute, he's got 15, along with Maylands, he's also got 15. And then um, Creevy and Merley have 14 apiece. So it is all up there in the last game where people can easily grab a couple of tries. Um, on the England selection, very well deserved. It's well overdue. But is it one of these ones where he's going to end up with an England cap so he doesn't end up playing for Ireland? And that'll be it? And I don't know. But there has been talk in the past of him maybe looking to move to one of the Irish provinces to further his international ambitions, which he's very in his own right to do. And he qualifies for his father, I believe, for Ireland. So um, 
if he gets an England cap, a solitary one, is that necessarily a good thing for him? I'm not so sure. It might be a good thing for Falcons if he can no longer play for Ireland because he might stay around for longer. Well, it's up to him, I suppose. It's, it's personal choice. If he, if he really wants to play for England, then he might take that one cap and think he's kind of got his foot in the door and possibility he hopes of getting other caps. Um, or does he perhaps potentially get the more certainty maybe of playing for Ireland regularly. It's kind of, I suppose it's, it's down to him really. And again, that's kind of a testament to him as to the quality he showed that he can kind of put himself in that position. But let's hope he does play for England. So, as mentioned at the start, got a bit of transfer news. But I think before we get on to that, there was an interesting piece on Look North during the week with Dave Walder. And I think you've made some astute comments on it over the last few days to me. And it makes you wonder... Who on earth would be volunteering to come to the Falcons when they don't know who's going to be doing what next season? Yeah, so Look North had an evening report on the Falcons. Uh, I think it was Thursday last week. And um, they interviewed Dave Waldy at Dawn. More Dawn was there interviewing Dave Walder. And she was asking him on in the presumption that he was going to be head coach, because that's what everyone seems to believe. And, and sort of asking him questions on the presumption that, you know, sort of, Dean Richards positions kind of been settled but um, it was actually quite worrying and actually sort of horrifying because uh, Walder didn't seem to have much idea about what was going on so you know Dawn was asking oh you know questions on the line of oh as you're going to be head coach or whatever in the coming season and he was like oh it hasn't quite been decided yet oh we, we still need to finalize our roles and no one's quite sure what's going on yet and you know we need to cross the i's and dot the t's etc etc and it was i think even Dort was kind of taken aback and i, I, I saw I, mean, I don't have a subscription to the times but i did see a headline where you, if you type newcastle falcons in to google it it comes up i think you know it says oh uncertainty over dave walder's position so nobody so the coaching staff none of them have any idea about exactly what their roles are and when Dawn even asked about Richards, um, Walder said, oh, we still need to finalise exactly what Dino's position is coming next season. So there seems to be a lot that hasn't been sorted yet. And that is very, very worrying um, because obviously you would like to think that they have at least, you know, especially it's the same people. You think the same people know what they're doing going into, into the pre-season. Um, but the, the fact they don't is, is very worrying. Unless it's, I hope it's just sort of storm the teacup and it just so happens that there and then they didn't know. And it, maybe as of recording this, almost a week later it has been sorted. But yeah, that was very, very not encouraging. We move on to our kind of our what we've heard. Obviously, sources remain anonymous, etc. But around the time that Nick Easter's departure was announced, discussions that we had alluded to the fact that Dave Walder's CV was doing the rounds. Not sure on the truth of that, but then what we've been told uh, recently, um, or that's the obvious stuff. We found that out a bit ahead of schedule, but um, kept our tongues bitten. But we've also heard that Basham's leaving and thought is to Ealing, but not confirmed yet. Um, Fuser's off to Worcester next season. And Hodgson's been given the bullet, which I think's remarkable it's happened at this stage, because I think he's actually playing some of the best he has in the last two or three years. And I know at the end of the match on, on the weekend, a lot of people put their arm around him and he's visibly um, upset, probably a good indication of it as being last home game at Kingston Park. But yeah, it's a, a shame that we find out the way we did through people we've spoken to, whereas it's not been released yet, but it seems to be common knowledge in certain circles. Yeah, I mean, uh, the club's often quite 
slow this sort of thing up there. I mean, word gets out and does rounds on various forums and whatnot of um, where, you know, rumours where it's very much a case, you know, there's no smoke without fire. Um, but yeah, the club is quite slow in releasing sort of information like this. But uh, as you say, people kind of seem to be in the know. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing with, you're right about Hodgson. I mean, it seems bizarre really at the moment because actually I think he's been pretty as you say, he's been pretty good the past few games. And I think, you know, if you just take his fly-half performances of the last few games, I think it's probably, arguably, perhaps with Hayden won the best fly-half this season for us. I mean, you know, who knows why they, the exact reasons as to why they get rid of players, but could be that they kind of think, well, his time's up with us, he's not going to get any better or whatever. Or we, you know, we've, we're bringing, we've brought two new fly-halves in, you know, if someone's got to go, we still think Conan could get better or whatever, you know, we just don't necessarily know behind the scenes. But, yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, actually, for him, because, you know, as you say, and I've just said now, actually, you know, it's been pretty good for us the last part of this season. Yeah, the, the veracity of what we've heard, obviously, we can't be sure, it's all speculation, but um, it's on reasonably good grounds that we've been told it. So uh, just have to wait and see what happens over the next few weeks for the club's announcements, because, um, yeah, a couple of them made our eyebrows get raised when we found it out. Almost as much as our eyebrows are raised when Sebastian Chavez got announced as coming back. That was completely out it was just one of those ones where you think, what on earth and why on earth is this happening? Well, yeah, I mean, again, I mean, if we talk about in terms of obviously his position, I mean, it's a, I know we've obviously been hit hard for the past couple of months with injury sort of set around back row, but is it really a position we need to strengthen in? Um, if you, you know, if the club doesn't have a lot of money, is that kind of an area where we need to spend money? Now, I don't think he's going to command a huge fee or or huge wages, but, but even so, um, you know, you think of him as a player, I mean, yeah, he was fine in the championship for us, but like, is, is is it, is it a player who's really just gonna who's gonna improve us, or is he just that kind of fill numbers in a squad? We've got players there. Top of my head, Dalton, for example, who was signed with a little bit of fanfare at the start of this season. I think we've seen him in a league game. So why are we signing sort of to Chavez, for example? It's it's an odd one, and um, I don't know. It's a transfer which kind of gets me a little worried in the sense of we're just kind of filling up numbers rather than improving the squad in terms of quality. Um, which you know, obviously, if you don't improve the squad in terms of quality, you're not going to progress. You're not going to be any better, and that's kind of the worry. I mean, the fly half signings, we'll see. I think there's some potentially positive encouragement there, but the other one so far. I, I can't, you know, they don't really kind of get get my pace going, that, that's for sure. Yeah, my thoughts are along the lines of got a strong academy and lots of people busting the gut to get through. And if we need people to hold tackle bags, then surely it's the academy that do it. And if we have Chavez on the pitch next season versus potential people we're losing, like Fuso or, or Basham, then as far as I can tell, it's, it's not the club going in the right direction. I know there's things like the salary cap coming down, etc., but we're not going to be close to that anyway, I don't think. And um, yeah, very odd. But also at the same time, one that I'm a bit more optimistic about is a, an international we've signed, Josh Peters, or El Joshua, uh, Spanish international. I think he was born in Spain or raised in Spain or something, so, but he's, he, he was there long enough to be eligible for Spain. So he's played a number of international games then, fluent Spanish speaker, so he'll be able to translate for Carreras and Orlando when they get particularly irate. Yeah, he's... Um, done the rounds in the championship and from all accounts he's a very big lad he knows how to get around the field and actually puts in a good shift well I think he was part of the squad that um, well Spain thought they'd qualify for the World Cup of course now being disqualified um, so we could have had a play at the World Cup next season but um, no um, I'll take your word for it. I mean, I don't know much about him. You know, you kind of read the spiel about him and sort of what he's done and, uh, you know, impressed in the championship. And what, as we all know, massive step up to the premiership, playing for a club which isn't doing well. 
you know, sort of very much sink or swim stuff. Um, I, I guess if we sort of do a glass half full unknown quantity, I suppose, and let's kind of just hope it, it pays off. Um, I mean, I've been thinking about a lot of this in terms of signings and bizarre for me to say in a way, because I know we can be so critical about performances, but I find it actually it's quite unusual that we sign players who we think, oh, no, that's a terrible signing, or, or we look back on it and thought, oh, that's an awful signing. I do genuinely think most of our signings, are you actually think, oh, no, they're quite good, or, we, oh, yeah, no, they, they do well week in, week out. I mean, there's criticism perhaps in terms of coaching and, and the general performance, but I think if you look at some of the signings, they've been generally quite good, though. As you say, there's been a couple this season so far which are a bit mm, iffy about and maybe, as you say, shows perhaps not the right direction. But, you know, let's have glass half full, I suppose, with players like him and see what happens. Yeah, and the final to talk about, which I'm actually quite looking forward to seeing play, assuming he gets on the pitch, is Josh Thomas. Being in the Welsh ranks and coming through he's a standoff but can play along the back line it would seem by all accounts he's kind of a bit Hayden Wood-esque in that he's a young young player with a huge amount of potential but he hasn't had a lot of first team rugby recently and fingers crossed he really grabs the ball by his horns but it'd be interesting where he plays given we're signing um, Schumann as well so who's going to play where or is it just going to be a case of strong four deep in certain positions and weak in others? Well, I mean, you mentioned Hayden Wood and I think in very, well, in a couple of ways, it, it's an almost like a light replacement because if you watch the sort of highlights film they put out there, you, you know, the way he taps the line, the way the way he distributes the ball is kind of a bit Hayden Wood-esque, I thought. Um, also, he's a player who probably has time to, can still develop and can be a bit more utility as well in terms, as you say, a fly-off or maybe even a full-back or perhaps put him in the centres. Um, so I, I think what they've done there is, is try and sign someone who's almost, not quite a carbon copy, but someone who can sort of, you know, kind of fit the bill, I suppose, and, and go into that part of the squad where you have Schumann, who's perhaps a more experienced fly-off, but, you know, how injury-prone is he going to be? So, you know, you, you maybe you need a player like him to sort of step up and play more regular first team rugby for us and again maybe it's a sink or swim isn't it you know if, if you perform really well for a club which isn't playing well then you, you go, you, you're a good player and I think you're going to do well um, you just got to hope that a player like him going to a new environment a new club a new league you know and he's playing for a team which presumably isn't going to be that great it's not going to be too much for him and it doesn't kind of scupper him in some ways but again I think we've got to be optimistic and outstanding so far that is definitely the one which is the most exciting it's also interesting that he's coming from Ospreys when there's a lot of rumours about them ceasing to exist in the near future. So um, is there a case of there's a few more Ospreys players coming our way if we uh, keep our arms open? Um, because, as is doing the rounds, but the Welsh Rugby Union are very keen to dismiss any rumour of, is that Welsh Rugby is basically bankrupt and they're trying to sacrifice one of the four clubs, which is um, a bit of a disgrace as far as I'm concerned, but let's see what happens. Yeah, again, it's one of these things, no smoke about fire. Uh, I mean, yeah, maybe there's a pool of players there we could dip into, perhaps, but we'll have to see with that. But um, it is, it, it's really poor uh, from Welsh Rugby Union, if that is, is true. Um, I mean, you've got to feel sorry for supporters, uh, really don't you you know that like us you know they could have watched the club for decades and to just have it sort of taken away from them like that and I suppose it's an argument against franchising isn't it you know if you don't run it properly this is what happens so you know I think we, we're all pleased that actually in England we do have a proper traditional club structure yeah also I think with the way the Welsh system works where unless you like a re-summit where you're kind of Welsh but English but Welsh you've got to play in Wales if there are only three teams left there it's not it's not going to be a very, very sustainable and practical model because 
if you look at Scotland, when they got rid of Caledonian Reds and the Border Reavers, and there's only two left, you don't have to play in Scotland to play for Scotland. Ireland manage it with uh, playing for the provinces until you've had, I think, 50 caps or how many it is. But um, I can see them having to relax the rules to allow Welsh players to play overseas, in which case the quality of Welsh rugby is going to go down. They'll get even fewer fans. It's a bit of a downward spiral. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a good point in terms of, you know, what will happen to, to the players if you, because in the way they're going now, as, as you say, in terms of, you know, if you want to play for Wales, you have to play for a, a Welsh franchise. If they relax that, then you'll have, you know, how do these Welsh teams replace the players? Um, and you've got to think that will probably affect the quality. And then if you're not, I mean, the reason why they have these franchises is it's trying to help the national team. If you don't, if you don't have that, then kind of what's the point of being a franchise? You know, does the Welsh rugby need funding then dry up? Are these clubs sustainable on their own? Um, you know, you've got to think what their wage structures are. So it could be a, a real mess. It's something which actually might be worth keeping an eye on over the next couple of years and see what happens with, with, the Welsh clubs because that could be a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, and it's interesting the finances we're talking about here at the Welsh clubs because I'm beginning to be a bit of a cynic when it comes to professional rugby in a way because we always talk about investment and investment and investment. But I think what we actually mean when we say that is a philanthropist because if you look at the profit and loss accounts of pretty much every premiership club bar in the odd season here or there for the last five or six years, not a single club makes profit. Wasps have they've managed to pay back their or they said they're going to pay back their investors on the um, loan over the, whatever it's called, the Coventry Building Society Arena, but they're having to refinance it. And um, all it is is another loan. And the last loan they had, I think, was a 10% token value. So this one can't be much different. It'll probably go up more given the way that interest rates look like they're out to rise. So if you're looking at a 35 million loan on the, or mortgage over the stadium at 10%, that's three and a half million quid a year just to play in a two-thirds empty stadium. And if you're going to be spending the best part of, three and a half, four million quid a season. Divide it by 15, 16 home games if you have a good cup run, maybe 17 or 18. You're looking at pretty much all your gate receipts ending up going to pay a mortgage on a stadium and then you haven't even got to the point of players' wages and all the rest of what goes on. And yeah, they're cutting the salary cap to five million pounds and various other things. They're cutting the championship funding. What a genius idea that is. Not. As far as I can tell, we've either got to do away with the salary cap and go a bit French in it and may well be of detriment to the Falcons. But at the minute, I can't see long-term financial viability for rugby when effectively every single club is just in a slowly downward spiral and bit of a zombie business where they can't actually make a profit. Yeah, um, you know, I do think actually, um, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I think the French model is probably the best model. You know, ironically, it probably is the most sustainable one because it has the ability to people to, to very rich owners to just buy clubs and throw money at it. And it's very rare, actually, if you look at the French teams, it's very rare that they actually sort of do financially collapse. There isn't a case where I can't think of many ones where you say have one of the richest clubs, let's say harassing, for example, just suddenly, you know, the owner pulls the plug and they suddenly just go under. I don't think that's really happened. I know you've had Biarritz and Perpignan of sort of are definitely not these three, but that's because they got muscled out by other teams that did have greater financial backing, like your Rassings and your Toulons, who traditionally weren't that big a club and weren't, well, as big clubs in France. Um, so I do think that's probably the model going forward. And you just kind of see it in football as well, obviously. That's very much, you know, the more money you have, the generally the more success you have. 
I think the French model is going to have to be the way for professional rugby. It's it's the way it's the way it's got to be in professional sport, because unless funding comes other through other means through say massive TV deals, which is very unlikely, then I, I, you're right. I don't see how in many ways it's sustainable. Or the only way it's sustainable is that everyone is brought down to possibly the lowest level. And then what does that mean for the quality of rugby? And then what does that mean for English teams playing in Europe or the English national team? So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mentioned about, you know, in terms of Welsh clubs, you know, keep an eye on that a couple of years' time. But maybe medium to long term, the English clubs, um, you know, is a bubble going to burst with that? You know, is it just going to kind of come to the end of the road where the the money trees kind of runs out, really, for some of these clubs? Um, Yeah, well, we'll have to say it's, you know, it's, but it's, you're right, it's it's not particularly optimistic, but who knows. All right, so it's that time of the, the episode for the roundup. Um, all the local leagues have finished now. Um, I think we'll probably do a local league grand roundup after the end of the season. And um, I think we might try and get a couple of guests on from various clubs around the northeast to give a review of their season. Um, there's certainly a few standout teams this year. Uh, I think it'll be... So if, if you're a member of the local rugby club and you'd like to get onto Folk on Falcons or think that you've got a good representative, please, please put yourself forward. We're more than willing to have you on and we'll um, also be going directly to a few people and asking them for some input. Um, but what we can do is talk about the premiership table and results of the weekend. So on Friday night, high score and a fair down in the West Country with Bristol beating Exeter 40 points to 33. And a much lower score and a fair in the Midlands with Wasps losing seven points to 16 at home to Sale Sharks. Um, on Saturday, uh, Bath beat London Irish, as we already mentioned, 27 points to 24. Harlequins had a, another close one, this time against Gloucester, very close at the end, 28 points to 24. We lost five points to 27 against Leicester, and Saracens had a close one against Northampton, winning 42 points to 38. That leaves the Premiership table as follows. Wolves play for with one game to go. Leicester Tigers on 90 points, with Saracens just behind on 87. Harlequins have 79, Northampton have 70. Gloucester have 68, Sale have 65, Exeter have 64, London Irish have played all their games now on 63, so their top eight depends upon Wasps not getting a win this weekend, or in fortnight's time here on 60, Bristol then in no man's land on 48, we've got 33 as do Bath, and Worcester in last position with 30. If we look at the teams that could potentially finish top four, because it goes by number of wins, Sale, who are five points behind Northampton, can't go on it because they've only won 11 versus Northampton's 13, but it's between Gloucester and Northampton for who finishes in that fourth spot, and obviously Northampton are playing us. So there is one shout-out that Ian would like to make just before we say cheerio. Yeah, well, I've got it, really. Um, so congratulations to Northern Panthers, who I played a few games for this season, who have done the league double, um, and that was the Blind North League and Merit League. So uh, well-deserved, if I didn't say so myself. Um, obviously, that was due to my several tries or three of them, I think it was, in the season. Um, so, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant season for everyone involved in the, in the team there, and it's well done to everyone at the club for that. But, you know, if you do have any other shout-outs you want to make for your local club, then, yeah, please let us know. Great. So, um, thank you for listening, everybody. The ultimate match of the season wasn't a good one, but let's hope that we spoil Northampton's party in a fortnight's time. Cheerio. Bye, everyone.